Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning into another one of our monologues on We Can Fight Like Cats If We Have To Do. Have to. Wow. Always hard to speak when you're talking about racism, but my name is Sally Davis, and I'm co-founder and one of the hosts on We Can Fight Like Cats If We Have To. So um, the reason why we brought this podcast together was fairly simple. Uh, this was sparked by an idea because my friend and I were fundamentally fed up with the um, portrayal that New Brunswick is a welcome, hosp welcoming, hospitable, um, open, loving, friendly, I hate that word, friendly province. Um, and because we were so traumatized, the two of us, by our two racialized experiences, as well as the racialized experiences of our families, um, that essentially we just had to start talking about it by ourselves because we felt like we didn't have any other real platforms to discuss the issues. This was not long after uh, George Floyd's death. And George, let me tell you, you are, you are something. You have moved a world. You haven't moved a nation. You haven't moved a people. You have moved a world. <clears throat> you have made people realize just how injured they are by the circumstances and the torture that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. And I cannot remember your name, but to the sweet woman who recorded that video, thank you. Thank you so much for that recording. Because that recording gave a voice to all the people that felt like we were being treated wrong, all while feeling that we were invisible. <clears throat> You see, the system doesn't just affect adults in a negative way. It doesn't just hurt adults who are racialized. But a big reason why we do this, and we can fight like cats if we have to, is you have an entire category of people that are extremely vulnerable. You have two categories, in fact. You have one category being um, the immigrants that are coming in from under other countries, being fed this propaganda that New Brunswick and even from other provinces. People are coming in from other provinces being fed this rhetoric that New Brunswick is a great place to raise children. And let me tell you that it was not when I was a child and it still is not for the children of today who are racialized. Now, I was born in Moncton, New Brunswick in 1984, which means I hit the school system late 80s, early 90s. You'd think that we've come a long way since that time when in fact, we are a long ways away. We may have managed to find a way to silence the physical violence, but the psychological assaults, manipulations, and social segregations that have affected us will continue to affect us so long as the criminal codes continue to operate the way that they are and continue to be written the way that they are. 
We will continue to be oppressed and enslaved by the system. If bystanders continue to use the excuse that they can stand there and watch with a group of people, the suffering of somebody else and just wait for somebody else, a third party to do something about it. In this monologue, I'm going to be going into the dark chapters of my childhood. For those unaware, I suffer from severe PTSD. And when I say severe PTSD, I mean I cannot look at my children without being triggered. My own flesh and blood terrify me half to death because they trigger the images to haunt me from my past. Now, if you are a parent and especially a mother, you know that when we look at the eyes of our children and their sweet faces, we live in awe. This is universal. Whether you're white, black, Asian, Middle Eastern, North African, Caucasian, anything, indigenous, it doesn't matter <clears throat> what you are in terms of ethnic genetic composition. The emotional attachment we have to our children is universal, unchanged, and forever. And since witnessing George Floyd's death, I have not been able to look at my own children without fear and terror. Not only because I am <clears throat> the mother of sons who are one half indigenous North African, one quarter black. Because let's face it, the violence that our sons face as children of color is likely to be similar to George's. But I don't have to go as far as my fear of what happened to Mr. George Floyd. Because as I watched my brother take his last breaths, screaming for air under the knee of an officer, I was sent back in time to 1995. I was 11 years old then. And sure, bullying is normal. At least we normalized it then. But violence was no longer normal at this point. You see, we tried to pretend that part of our civilization was actually civilized and that we do not tolerate physical violence. And we excused emotional and psychological abuse. I don't remember what day of the year it was. I don't remember anything but the fact that I was in grade 
six at Ecole Vanier. Now, that bitch of a school has been bulldozered, but its legacy lives on. You see in Moncton, New Brunswick, we like to point the finger and exclaim that the racist and the white supremacists were mainly the Anglophones in Riverview. But that was a complete deflection because there is a huge population to this day of the Francophone community that are in fact white supremacists. Whether they take it to a violent place or not does not define whether or not they are white supremacist. It just defines how open they are about it. Now, I am not saying the Francophones are more white privileged or white supremacist than the Anglophones, nor am I saying the contrary. But I'm saying this this ridiculous lie that we fabricate, that we Francophones are victims of oppression and therefore cannot redo or inflict what has been inflicted upon us historically as the exiled colonials. Because you see Francophones, you were never slaves. You were colonialists that were thrown out by unfortunately a stronger colonialist. Back to 1995, 11 year old Sally. At this point I have now been moved three schools due to discrimination and fears of abuse. Because every time my parents concerned, were concerned about racism or violence or abuse, the school district put the responsibility of my survival on the hands of the parents who could not protect me during those God knows how many hours that I was in a classroom and on the premises in the custody of other adults responsible for my well-being. but it was their responsibility to pull me out and drive me to and from schools that had no bus access because I was out of their route to preserve my safety as a woman of color. More specifically, not even a woman because I was a potato back then. I was 11 years old. I was a child of color who didn't even know what a child of color was. But all I knew from the whispers of the children who would sit behind me and beside me in class just to spend the class hours whispering in my ear how decrepitly repulsive my hair was, how disgusting my appearance was, how stupid my family's traditions and faiths were. At this point, my hair had already been set on fire a few times. I don't even remember the first time it happened. 
That's how many times it had occurred by the age of 11. And for all those listeners who are listening, I don't care what ethnicity you are, but think about your 11-year-old child or younger having their hair set on fire by their colleagues in school, by their fellow pupils. In 1995, I was a Vanier, at a Vanier. There was a group, two Matthews and Natalie, I'm pretty sure there was a Devon. They, they liked to mock me. Um, they would often surround me. Not only say hurtful things, but threatening things. There were others and many have come forward and apologized to me since. Seeing the wrong and the error in their ways. I was the only child who had two parents who were not Acadian and not even white. I did not have the protection of the Acadian system. Now, one faithful day, I was minding my own damn business, playing tetherball with my friends. I believe I was up against either Sheena or Mo at this point, but we were playing tetherball. I was wearing a red shirt of some sort. I remember noticing the children coming towards us, the gang coming towards us. This gang was composed of individuals, many who went on to become actual white supremacists in high school and adulthood. Many that I have no doubt their parents were also white supremacists. Whether admittedly or not. Because children learn these behaviors. They don't just come up with this shit out of their ass. I remember a group of us being surrounded as we played tetherball and you know, that thing that they always teach children, which is just to ignore for all you parents, for the love of God, don't teach that bullshit to your children. Do not teach them that there are heroes. Do not teach them that people will stand up for them because you know what? People do not do the right thing when they are supposed to. Especially in light of someone who is being abused and oppressed 
and your child is extremely vulnerable, and I don't care what ethnicity you are, across the board, every child should know to expect abuse and violence and not to treat it with silence by ignoring it. Because that shit doesn't go away. That shit gets worse. I was surrounded by a wall of human beings. At first they started calling it bumper cars and pretending they were bumping into my friends. But then they isolated me like a pack of lions isolating a weakened gazelle by herself. The bumper cars turned into shoving and hard. At this point, I am officially being assaulted in front of hundreds of individuals, including school faculty, school staff, teachers. Through the beatings, I could hear the school bell go off with every blow that I took. Finally, the bell stopped, but the beating didn't. And when a teacher finally intervened, it was because the bell had been ringing for a while and the children hadn't started to head to class. My best friend back then was half Vietnamese. Her name was Rochelle. Her mother was white. I remember in elementary school trying to have a conversation with her to try and tell her that I am afraid because I am different. And I asked her if she felt the same because I thought that she was different too. And I think that part of her didn't realize that she had the shelter of a white mother. And she told me, no, Sally, I think I'm not different like you. As I laid motionless on the ground, unable to move, Rochelle ran to me, crying. She kept repeating she was sorry. And I often wonder if it's because she couldn't relate to me when I tried to talk to her that day, a few years prior. I remember feeling numb at this point. I often did feel numb. I don't know whether it was a security reaction of my own body, a self-preservation, but I didn't feel my body anymore. I could see the faces around me staring. I could hear the sounds, but it was like I was not there.
And if you think that's the scary part of the story, you're damn wrong. My mother got a phone call from the school. Mrs. Davis, there's been an accident and your daughter is in the hospital. What happened to my daughter? Why is she in the hospital? Well, Mrs. Aid, sorry, not Mrs. Davis. Mrs. Davis is my mother-in-law, Mrs. Aid. My mother answered saying, what do you mean? There's been an accident and my daughter is in the hospital. In her testimony, my mother made the statement that they told her that I fell off bleachers while playing with friends. In the blows, I received a lower back injury that to this day makes me walk with a limp. Along with the fact that I've been kicked in the rectum so many times that my tailbone hurts when I sit and I stand and I get up and I move and I'm only 37 years old. And my tailbone is a constant reminder of the excruciating pain of every single steel toe boot that I have received in every blow. And I feel like a 99-year-old woman holding on to my youth and hoping it'll come back. And that pain will go away. I had very mild signs of a concussion, though nothing serious. And a blow to the back of my head. Again, not serious, no stitches. When my parents met with the principal, the principal assured them that I was playing with my friends. That he spoke to all the students that I had listed and they all claimed it was a game of bumper cars and they didn't mean to make me fall and get hurt the way that I did. Now, Principal Valerie Vautour, I would like to know from you, what part of this do you think was the game? The ripping me away from the tetherball game that I was actually playing? The violent whiplashing shoves that they shoved me around? Or the blows that I kept receiving once on the ground and the bell had stopped ringing? What part of that you retarded individual is considered a damn game. And for those of you who think that I am angry because this happened to me, no, I am angry because this happened to a child with absolutely no consequence, not only to the children, 
who inflicted this pain, but to the negligent adults that allowed it to happen and covered it up. This is why people of color do not trust. We do not trust anything with our children, not the medical system, not the school system, not any damn system. Because we know the damn lies that you say about us, you say about our children and they are quiet and you will hurt them even more then you will hurt us because you know that hurting them will hurt us the most. I still get a head rush. It's still horrifying. Going in public alone to do groceries is the most horrifying experience of my life because I don't know if I'm going to be swarmed by people again. And you can bet that it was my parents' responsibility to pull me out of that school and find me another place to go to. But it's Moncton, New Brunswick. The place ain't big. There's only so many fucking schools and I've already been to half of them. You see, seeing the corruption that can be covered up as an adult is just a reflection of the, co the corruption that gets covered up to our children. The lies, the monstrosity, the blatant denial. Valérie Vautour, my parents are not stupid. And you're stupid for thinking they're stupid. But unfortunately, you are also smart because you knew that you could get away with this. Because my father worked at L'Université de Moncton, which again, greatly affiliated with the school district, just like they were with the Catholic system and the Catholic church. And somewhere there's some sort of funding trade off of some sort or just some pride ego bullshit that you'd rather sacrifice children than fix your flawed system. And so my father was again blackmailed into not calling the police. And that beef I have with him. And he's not alive today, my dad. I can't ask him what possessed him to actually be afraid and remain silent. And I somehow have to find it within myself as a parent to swallow that and live with that every day. And yeah, he has his own demons, but it is not about what my father could not do to protect me. Because I still believe that it was within the maximum of his capacity that he did everything he could to protect his child and the system was just fucking with him. The Acadian Francophone system of New Brunswick 
was just fucking with him. There's no statute of limitation on attempted murder, though, even if there is a statute of limitation on assault. And technically, because they kept beating and people let them, it's attempted murder and attempted cover-up. But you see, if there is no firearm involved, well, it puts you in the grayscale. Sure, it doesn't help that I'm not a white woman. If I was a white woman coming forward alleging some of these things, I'm sure I would receive a lot more attention than I do as myself. But the truth is, this is how you get away with murder. Or at least attempted murder. You do it to the most silence of the most silent of the most vulnerable. And then no one will know in time for a statute of limitation of abuse. And should that person die, well, you just cover it up as an accident, right? And don't tell me we don't do that shit because um, residential schools, anybody? And notice how I said, don't tell me we don't do that shit. I'm in the present tense, ladies and gentlemen, because we still do that shit. And if you don't admit your wrongs, then I can't believe that you are doing things differently. And seeing that of all the people who have been accused of horrendous things, only one church in Nova Scotia admitted its role in residential schools. I have no faith that anybody else is willing to take responsibility. And I feel sick as hell. And dear white men who feel, you know, you want to tell me your opinion in the comments of our page that, oh, I'm so negative or I'm so angry or I'm so vile or I'm so sad and I need help. Dear white man, who is going to tell me that? Please go fuck yourself. Because you did this damage and you don't even have the resources for me available to fix the damage that you have done. Nor do you even admit that you are part of the problem. Because if an 11-year-old child can be attacked in front of hundreds of individuals, including adults who are responsible to protect this child, and nobody does a damn thing? I'm sorry, y'all fucked. Y'all fucked. I'm not mad at the 11 year olds and younger who didn't do anything. 
I'm not. I'm mad at all you damn adults who would rather remain popular or keep your job than save a child's life. Oh, but Sally, you're alive. Yeah, but how many of us aren't? Oh, but Sally, so many of you make it into adulthood. Yeah, but how many of us kill ourselves because we can't handle the PTSD or go into drug addiction and can no longer care for our loved ones because of our PTSD or cannot let go of their children at a school gate because we are crippled by PTSD. And how many of us will not trust you because we know you and your system are full of lies. And I'm not even upset with the liars. I'm upset with those who stand there knowing that people can lie and people are lying and enable it by doing nothing to change status quo. This has been an angry episode of We Can Fight Like Cats if we have to. An angry monologue of me fighting like a cat. And I say this all the time in our shows, we do not wanna fight like cats, man. We have to. Nobody wants to live like this. Don't tell me to grab myself by my damn bootstraps. You made this mess. Clean it the hell up. And as for the education system, I'm coming for you. I'm coming in for you, education system. Do you know how I'm going to come for you? I'm going to get Dominic Cardi's job one day. And I'm going to take a nuclear bomb into our school system. And I am going to blow up the way it is currently made and designed and the curriculum. And I'm going to launch that curriculum bitch into another galaxy or universe where it cannot make its way back here ever again to poison our children with lies. And I'm going to make sure that our children receive an actual education. I'm going to make sure that New Brunswick children are not only aware of their, their real heritage and their real culture and their real identity, but I'm going to make sure that children everywhere can compete on a global level. I am done with New Brunswick having the dumbest curriculum of this country. I am done with the oppression of teachers who can't do their jobs because of the damn districts. And one day I will be Minister Sally Davis. Education Minister Sally Davis. 
I have spent 37 years trying to find my voice and my identity and what I am meant to do with all of this pain and all of this knowledge and all of this experience and all of this, oh, I'm going to say it, power, because I'm taking my own power and I'm going to share it. I'm going to give knowledge to the next generation of human beings. So mark my words, I do not know when, but Dominic Cardi, I'm coming for your job. And the French and school and French and English school districts, dear teachers, I respect you. I admire the fact that you have been doing your jobs with your hands tied behind your back for so many years. The fact that you're not even allowed to use resources from the internet unless if approved within the curriculum. This, this episode is not about politics. It's about if you can do something, do something about it. And just like we do something every day by risking our names, our voices, our employability and our lives by coming forward and saying the truth here because you are not gonna hear it anywhere else. It doesn't take courage. We're not brave. We're freaking terrified. We're afraid of the people listening to this as much as we are afraid of our memories haunting us for the rest of our lives and our day-to-day -day experience becoming even more uncomfortable and difficult than it already is. And if you think I'm angry, you're damn right, I'm furious. but I'm not some mad brown woman. I am a well-spoken, non-diplomatic, non-sugarcoating, change-creating monster. And if this inspires you to become one too, I am so glad. For all of those of you who are still struggling with mental health and cannot be the change because you are hurting so bad, I see you and hopefully you see yourself soon too. But don't give up. Don't believe in justice, it doesn't exist. But it doesn't mean we can't make it exist. It doesn't mean we can't build a better place, a better home and a better future. Be kind to each other, support one another. But if you cannot do anything else, and frankly, you shouldn't do anything else until you stand up for each other. 
and to all my fellow BIPOC community still struggling with mental health, the first person I want you to stand up for is yourself. I love you. I feel you. And you will always be welcome in our arms. We want to hear from you. Share your story. We are your friends. Have a wonderful day.